Episode 38 of Board Games with Variant Hex is all about victory pointers for Seven Wonders Duel. I'm Kelly, and in this episode, Adam and I talk about our strategies, tips, and tricks for playing Seven Wonders Duel. Since this is available as an app and on Board Game Arena, it's easy to get a copy of this game and practically free to try it. We'll start with giving a basic rules overview, then dive very deep into wonder selection and age-by-age breakdowns. We surprise ourselves with the depth available in this one, and it's one of our longer episodes as a result. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to myself and Adam talking about Seven Wonders Duel. I'd like to challenge you to a duel. Oh, jeez. A Seven Wonders Duel. That's, that's good, because any other sort of formal duel, I'm not prepared. I'm not right. fit. I know there's those dueling rules in Hamilton. Whatever, whatever I have to do to say, what, whatever this fight's about, it's you. You can, you're, you can take it. I don't want to duel. Fine. But seven no wonders. No gloves duel. required. Yeah, no gloves required for challenging on this kind of a duel. Yes, I will. I will accept the challenge for seven wonders duel. As we have a few times now, I've played you a few times. I've played Aaron a couple times. We have the game, the physical copy of the game. We've also played on BGA. And I know that you have played far more on BGA. I just hit my 100th game right before this episode. Centennial. What are you doing for your Centennial Seven Wonders Duel celebration? Well, I think I'm going to go see all the Seven Wonders. I think I've earned the trip. Wow. I did not know Board Game Arena was offering vacations like that. Oh, I don't know that they are, oh, okay. but I was hoping with this episode they'd be sponsoring my world travels because of this. So I, I, I have yet to hear anything, but let's see how the episode goes. Play Board Game Arena for the job you want, not for the job right, you want. Right, exactly. Classic adage. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So Seven Wonders Duel, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but we'll do just a quick overview of what's happening. It's similar to regular Seven Wonders, the, what is that, two to seven, three to seven player game, in that you are trying to build some wonders. You have cards of certain types. You have resources. You have, like, um, public works cards. You have military cards, so on and so forth. And you're trying to collect, draft different um, combinations of those to score the most points, like in so many games. So what makes the duel of Seven Wonders Duel unique is you still play over three ages like the other Seven Wonders, but you arrange the cards in three specific shapes. So you have rows of cards and alternating in those rows, there's cards that are face up and face down. So you might have kind of a pyramid shape, kind of a triangle shape, what have you for each of the different ages. And that means that you can see some cards and what's gonna, what you can plan for and say, oh, I'm going to want that card up there. You kind of play it where you start at the bottommost row and you can take cards. You can only take a card if it has no other cards on top of it. And we've made these rows overlapping so that as you play off that first row, once a card has become revealed on the second row that's face down, you can flip that over. There's some planning you can do, and it's not the same passing cards back and forth drafting, but you do still have this element of when is a card going to be revealed And for the most part, you'll reveal a card for the other person. Not in every scenario, but in most of them. So if you're going to take that card that's on top of two other face-down cards, and it's the last one there on top of those cards, when you remove it, 
two other things are going to be revealed. And maybe your opponent is already doing really well in military or really well in science. You might be revealing things to them that are like very advantageous and you won't have any, you won't have any recourse to stop them. So you, in Seven Wonders Duel, you are playing it to just one other person, hence the duel. You're pulling these cards off and adding them to your kind of tableau of resources, points, what have you. You draft a few wonders to start the game and you'll be able to use one of the cards that you take off the center tableau to build those. You can also still just uh, discard cards from the center to get more coins. The unique part of this, it's not in regular seven wonders. You can have an immediate victory. So usually you just play through all of seven wonders and then when it's over, it's over and you count points. That can happen here. However, there's a military track on the side that is a tug of war. So as you get shields, you move, you advance your troops onto the other person's city. They're trying to fend off the attack and maybe even come back and attack your city on the other side. If someone gets to your city, then it's an instant victory for them. Doesn't matter. It could happen. I mean, it won't happen in age one, but it could happen in age one. And uh, there's also science victories. The science symbol, instead of them being that exponential scoring, if you're familiar with original Seven Wonders, as you get the symbols, if you get six different ones, you immediately win the game. So even though it's just a head-to-head -head game, you still end up with these different kind of balances between the two players. You're not always going for the exact same thing. You're trying to keep them maybe from an immediate victory while you collect points, or maybe you're trying to also go for the same immediate victory they're going for. It's not as one note as it's always going to be points. Sometimes that's a little frustrating because of the luck of the flip means they might kind of get to this instant win maybe a little more easily than you would like. But because the cards come out different every time, there's more than seven wonders included in the game. There's a lot of variety. So it's definitely something where you play it once and you feel like, uh, let's let's go again. Let's see how the cards change a little bit this time. Let's see what if I pick this wonder instead of that wonder. And it just iterates really well. It And as Adam just said, he's played it a hundred times. And so I have lots of thoughts about the game. Um, I will be very upfront that my like win record isn't amazing on this game. So I'm not going to claim that like I'm winning 80% of the time. And I think part of that is luck. It is a game of luck, mm -hmm. you know, um, where, yeah, you're just going to lose sometimes on that. I think I, I personally am also a victim of I do like to try to win with the alternate win conditions. And I probably oh. force that more than if I was like, if this was my job and I was getting a performance review, maybe I wouldn't do that mm -hmm. in the way that I do on this. But it's a game and it's fun. And I like the rush that comes with that. It's the way I like to play this game. So I'm going to lose probably more because that's not that's a deviation from the standard way of winning still. And I think I've learned that the game is still built to overall end with victory points when you're playing against people that can do everything they can to not lose mm -hmm. via the military or science at that point. So, um, but I do have lots of thoughts about this. So the first thing you do in the game is, as you mentioned, there are more than seven. So Seven Wonders Duel has 12 wonders mm -hmm. on it. So the first thing you do is you draft wonders. Now, you draft that in a uh, serpentine draft style. And what is a serpentine draft? I'm so glad you asked that. So it's kind of like if you've ever been on, you know, the ship ride at an amusement park, like oh, the pirate ship? Yeah. You know, like it goes it goes one way 
and then it kind of stays that way for a second, and then it goes back the other way uh-huh. on that. Uh-huh. So that's kind of what it's like. So if you draft second in the first round, you would draft first in the second round. Got it. On got that. it. Makes sense. Yeah. So, and that's pretty important because the wonders that you have. So five of the twelve have what's called the. Actually, I don't know if there's a name for it. A take another turn icon oh, on it. Yeah, to play a second turn. Yeah. Yeah, which which is important because as each player, you know, on your turn, all you're doing is effectively taking a card, mm-hmm. and that card is either being built, discarded, or used to build a wonder. So that take an extra turn is allowing you to change the rhythm of the game. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, to some degree, you're just kind of being built into this path yeah, that, just... yeah, there's a couple choices, but this is now shifting that back and forth. And that's really important because maybe there's a card you want to get, there's a card you don't want your opponent to get. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty important to have, the, it, it would provide a lot of flexibility, I would say, yeah. you know, on that. So those cards are typically valued higher, I would say, than the non-take-a-turn cards. The best wonder is, without a doubt, the 12-coin take-another-turn. I think it's yeah universal. It, it is potentially too powerful. Yeah. There's a cost for each of these wonders as well, which is, you know, your brick, mm-hmm. clay, mm-hmm. you know, wood, and then some paper and potions. It's also costed in a way that I feel like is very easy to get somewhat early on that and to jump up 12 coins if you've only spent two or four coins mm-hmm. is pretty is a pretty great advantage. I've never not taken it if I can and mm-hmm. I don't know that I've seen someone not take it or if they haven't maybe they've not won that game. Now I don't always take every take another turn wonder. I think some of them there's one that only gets you six victory points mm-hmm. taking on a turn. Mm-hmm. I think it's undervalued. Or I think that's overvalued. I don't think it's very good mm-hmm. at that point in time because it's not gaining you any, anything else on that. Six points is pretty easy to grab. I mean, that's a blue card that you could grab as well pretty easily there. So you're really betting hard you're going to need to take that additional one. The ones that give you coins, I think, are generally worth it because even if you're simply trading in six coins for that wonder to get the other turn, then it's a lateral move. Like, you're not you're really losing on that mm-hmm. and only potentially gaining coins at that point. So the seven that don't have that... Um, there's one that lets you take any card from the discard pile and play it for free. I get that one last all the time, oh. and I love it. I think it's one of the best cards on the Wonder List. Because that's what everyone discards, right? It's not just, like, your discards. It's the collective discard pile. Correct. Yeah, so you could think that you're throwing a card away. You know, you're discarding it to get coins. You don't want the other person to have it. But if they have that, if they have that wonder and they get it built, there's a chance that they'll be able to dig through there and take those extra two military at exactly the right point, or take that science that from round one that no one was really thinking about. Hundred percent. Now I also did tell you that I am disproportionately going that path. Mm-hmm, so of mm-hmm. course I'm gonna like this wonder. Yeah. It's probably not as good if you're just trying to get some points, some victory points. You know. But even then, I still feel like. It gives you access to a large pool of cards, yeah. which in a game where you're only given usually two or three options mm-hmm. starting in the you know the middle of the round, like it still feels in very valuable in a way that other players are not valuing that. Uh, there's some military cards. None of the military cards have a take another turn on that. There's one that lets you move up two squares, and then, then two of them that lets you move up one movement in the military oh, yeah. and destroys yeah. either a brown or a silver card mm-hmm. on that. So uh, the ones that move up one and destroy a card, I don't really care for those personally. 
I've certainly lost to them as, yeah, they're just wrecking my board over mm-hmm. there. But I, I don't know. I, I think consistently, I don't necessarily care for them. The one that moves you two can win you games. Yeah. Sometimes that's all you need is that final two of movement. Um, there's a one that gives you only like nine victory points. That's what it does. That is probably universally one of the last ones picked mm-hmm. also from everybody. Understandably so. Nine points is a lot in this. But it's not advancing your position in the game. Yeah. And I think can set you up just to lose to one of the other win conditions since it's not doing anything mm-hmm. to help with that. Um, there's one. So we're going to talk about progress tokens in a minute here. And maybe that minute is right now. Because yeah. I think the, the – oh, there's one that gets you uh, the na, the brown resources. Yes. And then there's one that gets you the silver resources. Those are pretty solid. The brown resource one's good. You can usually buy it pretty early. You can pay that one in round mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm. It helps you from getting stuck because, you know, again, yes. in a game of chance, you don't know what cards are going to get flipped. And there's times where you just don't get the resources by luck. Yeah. Because the opponent can take those as you're mahjonging your way through this mm-hmm. pyramid. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it's a nice, flexible, consistent, you know, it's your Honda Civic of wonders there. It's going to start every time. Mm-hmm. Solid gas mileage. Right. No issues. It's getting to 250,000 miles. Right. Right. Then there's this one where you can, so when you play, there's going to be five progress tokens on the right-hand side of the board. We're going to talk about every single one of those progress tokens and how I feel about them in just a moment. <laughs> but one of these wonders lets you take three of the ones that were not used. There's a total of, okay, so there's 10 total progress tokens. Five are on the board. And then you this wonder will let you look at three of the ones that were not on the board. Pick one of those. I like it because I think it can give you a lot of flexibility. You do get to see what progress tokens are out there before you take wonders. Mm -hmm. So I think that matters a lot Mm -hmm. on that. So, and and that's why as we talk about progress tokens, we may reference back to this point because uh, that will change where I would rank this one pretty heavily by the progress tokens that are or are not out there. Mm Now, I don't like that you don't get to see all of the remaining progress tokens because there are times where you're betting on Mm -hmm. maybe I need that progress token and then you just lose. But again, it is a game of luck. Consider that if you take it. I like it. I get it as last a lot as well. And I feel like it's Christmas every time I do. Because otherwise, those progress tokens, you're getting them when you have two of the same science uh, icon. Correct, yeah. 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 When you get two science cards that are the same symbol, which isn't advancing your total science count because it's six different symbols, but then it's giving you these progress tokens. And the progress tokens are as follows. So there's one that gets you six coins and four victory points. There's one that gets you, that makes the cost of your wonders two symbols less. There's one where you get paid whenever an opponent has to pay for a resource. So if you don't have the resource in front of you, you can pay two coins. Plus, there's some math if your opponent has mm-hmm. resources in excess of the resources you have in front of you. I think it's one more for each resource in front of them they have. Mm-hmm. So stuff can get expensive on your wonders. If your opponent says has a lot of brick, your wonders cost brick. You don't have any brick resources. Yeah. You're paying additionally for the imbalance that exists there. Yeah. This, whenever they pay to use a resource, if they don't have it, you get that money. So it's a way to get a lot of money. That's a pretty high value one. That economy token there. Because mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that's law. what would happen in regular Seven Wonders. If you use someone else's resource, you actually pay them some amount of coins to use their resource. But by default in Duel, that's not happening. It affects the price that you have to pay, but it doesn't go to your opponent. Correct. You can get a tremendous amount of money off of this in the right setup there. Um, law, which this one, 
is just worth a scientific symbol. The next one lets uh, blue cards be two symbols cheaper. There's one where you get victory points based on the number of progress tokens you have. So it's three for each. One that's just worth seven victory points. This next one's taken a lot. It advances your military by an additional space on any red card. That's a red card only. So your wonders, if you use those, it wouldn't mm. push those up additionally or anything. It's only okay. if you take a red okay. card. So if it's a one, move it up two. If it's a two, move it up three, so forth, so on. The next one, it lets you, when you play a wonder, construct a wonder, it will allow you to have that take another turn effect if that wonder does not have that ability. This one is, it depends on what wonders you have, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have three wonders that already have that ability, this is not very good. No. So as you're drafting those wonders, kind of back to that first phase, you have to look at these to know how it's going to have that kind of impact. Um, then there's another one where you get six coins, and if you link up construction, you get four coins. I think this one is inherently better than the four victory point one because you're getting, if you can get it early, early money and late game money, which can absolutely matter. So I'll take this over that first one anytime. So when you start a game, Yes. And we're going to go with what's on BGA, despite what you might do personally in your own home. You can see the progress tokens that are out when you do the Serpentine draft for the Wonders, but you can't see the age one cards that'll be out, right? Correct. Right. Yes, you do not know that. Yeah. So you're just doing co a combination of progress tokens and the Wonders, you see a set of four and then another set of four as well. So there are going to be, mm -hmm. you end up with four Wonders but those are divided as well, and you only see them four at a time. Right. On that, which so, means there's if there's a total of twelve, that means there's four that just are are not part of your game. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Without a lot of conditions, that economy one where you get coins from them paying, it, it, I would say is probably just the highest overall ranking because it has very little conditions. Mm. The only way that's bad is if they have so many resource cards that they're never paying money ever. And in which case, you're probably already losing. If they can buy everything without paying for it, yeah. they're in a really good position yeah. on that. Otherwise, that's going to be super solid. So, and then the money ones, also just getting money is good in this game. Mm -hmm. That's how Give you buy cards. Flexibility. Yeah. For sure. And then after that, it goes off your strat. I think if you're doing the military or science, those two are going to be up there based on how you're playing. I don't know if I've ever taken that blue card one. I feel like blue cards are easy to buy as it is. I don't know who's yeah. out there not getting blue cards because they just can't afford it. You didn't get ones early enough. There's still that chaining effect from the base, the regular Seven Wonders, where there are cards where when you buy them, you will be able to buy kind of the next card in that series for, for free when it shows up in a later age. And also along the point with the money stuff and having that money early, and I think the reason you're saying it's not invaluable because it's money and that's its exact purpose. You can pay, you can just pay to do a lot of things. So those wonders have resource costs. And what's excellent on BGA is that it shows you the cost to do whatever, whatever might, if there's a card you want to buy and don't have the resources for, if there's a wonder you want to construct, it will show you the amount and it will, I think, changes the color of it based on if you can actually afford it or not. So another level of like, hey, don't plan on this. You don't actually have this money. Correct. Yep, absolutely. It makes it super easy on that. It helps, I think, I think it's helped me to evaluate these things mm. 
easier because you get that full scope in what we would call the way that Aaron would default Matrix his way into a game. Yeah. I can't do that, so I need yeah. the computer to tell me, and then I can kind of piece it together. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not gonna say like a normal person, but you know, like a normal Pretty person. Much like a normal person, because I think it's yeah. when you see the let's say that you do have the wonder, one of the wonders that has money on it, and maybe it's the twelve or the six or what have you. When you see the cost to build that wonder and then the cost that it's going to give you back, like those calculations change. And as you acquire cards and see kind of knowing the right time to strike, because as we'll get into as we move towards talking about the main part of the game, it is still seven wonders. And we have talked about drafting eight. So once seven wonders are constructed, like that's that's all the wonders, despite what they've put in the box the other person doesn't get to construct their fourth wonder. Sometimes the money, like let's say you have this 12 coins one, let's say for whatever reason, you have to pay a good amount for it, but maybe it's such that you want to go ahead and pay that to make the other person have to choose which one of the wonders are they not going to construct or pressure them into spending more money to get theirs done because maybe they're just more reliant on accomplishing those in order to meet whatever goals or plan they've set. 100%. And I think that is kind of as we get into the gameplay portion of this, you know, when you said pressure, I think that's really what this is a game of. Mm -hmm. I think it is a game of pressure and who has, who's doing the pushing, who's trying to not get pushed, and then the actions therein. Um, And you can kind of feel it the more you play of like, oh, oh, those two cards that he bought are not, they're not pushing me on Mm -hmm. that. And I may have been pushing this whole time and they can just shift pretty easily there. And so, yeah, only seven wonders total can be built. Um, And each of the wonders also do have victory points attached, I think, except for that 12 coin one. Yeah, that one doesn't have victory points Mm, on it, but the rest of them do have some level of victory points. So you're also losing victory points inherently of 11 of the 12 yeah. if you can't build your fourth wonder as well as whatever ability that came with on that. So building four wonders is better than building three wonders universally mm-hmm. unless you're winning by military or by science and you just don't care about that last wonder. Right, right. Or if it's if it's kind of late and the let's say you got like the Colossus, which is the one that has the two shields and three victory points. Right. If the other person has pushed the tug of war so close to you there are points on that tug of war track so even though if you don't end in a victory by actually getting to the city as you get closer to the city if the game ends with your with the pawn in that position you still get a good amount of victory points the closer that you are to the city so it's possible that something like the colossus it's possible that some of these like it'd be far better for you to just take the cards that are there instead of burying a card underneath it to build the wonder because maybe maybe for this colossus you can get like seven points on one of the end of one of the blue cards near the end of the game it only has three mm-hmm. points maybe because of where the uh because of where the attack symbol is the attack pawn is like that's just going to be a better way to spend to spend things. And I think that's the best case scenario is that it gets to the end of the game and your wonders, the game has played out for you in such a way that your wonders aren't the best thing that's happening on your side of the fight. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think depending on the path you're taking and the the inverse could also be true. Mm. So that, you know, uh, so there's 
three movement points within each points category as it gets closer to that okay. overall win mm-hmm. on there. So, and it goes two points, five points, 10 points. Just like you were saying, it wouldn't be good to play it if it's moving it still within the same points category. Mm-hmm. And you're, so you're not gaining anything there yeah. and you're, you know, versus something else. But also if you're moving it from the 10 to the five and gaining three victory points yourself, yeah. what's well, an eight victory point swing. So make sure you're doing the math on that mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. you could be gaining more than that six point blue card that way as well. So yeah, doing those calculations, which it does not do those for you. It does a lot of calculating. Right, right, It does not right. tell you, take this card, it's the best. Yeah, it's so, not, it is not playing the game for you. No. And then, so once you've picked your wonder and your, you've now looked at the progress tokens to know what you're up against or what's not out there. Because that's the other thing I would recommend everybody. Don't just look at what's there, look at what's not there. If there's not that one that allows the uh, science to the the science token one, it may change whether how much I want to go for it. Because I mm-hmm. feel like it drastically changes my ability to win with science, oh, mm-hmm. if it's there or not. So if I don't have the wonder that lets me look for it, or it's not out there, do something else. If the one with the military is out there, I'm more likely to go for that one uh, in general. So, And you know if they're going for it, it changes the odds in, in your opponent's favor or not as well. Mm-hmm. So just factor those things in on that. And then you just start taking one card per turn, and then using that card to either build the card, build a wonder, or discard it for coins. And the coins you'll get is equal to oh, yeah. two plus the number of yellow cards yeah. that are out there. And yellow cards are ones that, I don't even know what they're called, but they commerce, give you like either money maybe? directly or make things cheaper, provide a resource. So it's having to do with the buying and selling of mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Commercial buildings. So they, it says they are worth coins, they produce resources, change trading rules, and sometimes give you victory points. And I think that's a, maybe a little later age where you'll get um, like coins for your wonder, things like that. Coins for your other yellow cards, I think is one of them as well. And they'll have like victory points on them. Yeah, I think there's one for all of them. I think there's one coins for military, coins for brown cards, silver cards, yellow cards. I don't know if there's a one for your science cards. Oh, yeah. So in age three, there's a silver, silver, brown, red. Those are all the Chamber of Commerce, the port, and the armory. And they would give you three coins for every one of your gray cards, the Chamber of Commerce, two coins for every one of your brown cards, that's the port, and then one for every one of your red cards, that's the armory. And each one of those gives you three victory points as well. Yeah, and so that's solid, and that's just, there's no way to know if they're coming, but it can be a huge swing in coinage towards the end Mm -hmm. if you just happen to get them and you have six, you know, of the brown resource cards already. I mean, that's that's 12 coins, so that'll let you buy probably most anything you need. Um, But So you start off with age one, which you're going to have low-cost resource cards on that. So Mm -hmm. all of your wood... Uh, brick or is it, is clay the other one? I think no, clay yeah, is yeah. the brick. What's... Well, it's stone, clay, and stone. Wood. There yeah. we go. Stone. Yeah, there's going to be one of those that are free, mm-hmm. so they don't have any cost, and the one that costs one coin on that. You start with seven coins in the age, so you're just very base level grabbing some of those cards. You're going to have a few of the science cards available to you, and then you'll have um, some of the silver, the paper, and potion mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. And some low level, I mean, low level of all the different card types. And then there's these reserve cards stone, clay, and wood reserve. 
They cost three coins, and they make it so that all future cost to trade of that specific resource is only one coin. I did not value that highly. Mm. I thought, well, if I just need the wood, I'll just get the wood. Sometimes that was a fool's mistake. It's not always there. And that was something that came up in uh, one of the plays that Aaron and I had. His wonders, we didn't really talk too much about the resources on the wonders, but of course they all have a different mix of resources. Well, the ones that he picked all use the same resource. I think it was wood. The way that the cards came out, because you don't see every single card in each age. I think there's three that are left in the box. As the shuffle just happened, there wasn't a lot of wood available. I took one. One of my wonders had one. And I honestly was not paying attention. Well, as the game went on, he wasn't getting any more access to wood. And then it sort of destroyed, you know, talking about how maybe you need a whole lot of money. If you have a whole lot of money, that allows you to get through an incident like that, where either just by the base shuffle or by the way that things have flipped and what the other person has taken... You just can't get those initial resources under your belt so that you can actually start building things a little more easily. You're 100% right. And so in probably in the last 25 games, I finally have changed my brain. Mm. I think it's now almost like it's first pick if it's in that bottom row. Oh. Because opponents are also first picking it mm-hmm. to hedge against any issues there. So it's also if you don't take it, your opponent will take it to make mm-hmm. sure they can play their game. Yes. So you've kind of potentially double lost. Mm-hmm. Or now, again, now you have, if the wood reserve is taken, well, now I need to take wood because I can't reduce the cost of wood, right? And so now we talk about that pressure, right? Now mm-hmm. now I have pressure that my opponent doesn't when taking cards. Mm-hmm. So it, it, ge- it gives yourself relief and puts pressure on your opponent, which is where you want to be with every move you can make in this game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so now I absolutely take them first. And, and the cost to trade initially is two coins i believe so it is also just making everything cheaper yeah for that item than it already would be so there is an immediate advantage to that that may not be it may not feel like it in the same way as when you actually have a resource and that cost is cut down to nothing but they're 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 great so Mm -hmm. take them the only card i'd probably take over that and is the free four gold coins that's a yellow card i think that is oh i mean i've lost people that haven't taken it but Mm -hmm. i think that is I mean, it's just four coins, and then all of your future discards are now worth an additional coin. I put it to you. I, I think if you get there's an H two, not to jump ahead too much. There's a six coin. That's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. If you get both of them, I don't see how you lose this game. Just just having the ten extra coins for flexibility, and whether that be as you're saying, are you putting pressure on your opponent, or are you getting you know, are you getting a relief from pressure put on you? Either way, it gives you more flexibility than just a resource does. Correct. And yeah. I think if you get both of them, that's 10 coins and now all your discards are worth four, assuming you have no other yellow buildings, which is a lot. Like that lets you right, right. buy a lot later on. So I think I I value those very, very highly. So I think the yellow cards in general, I value highly because there are times mm-hmm. where you just need to get coins in the game. Like, I don't know any game I've played where I haven't just needed to get coins at some point. Right. And all things considered, there aren't that many yellow cards. The That four coin card links with one other card. The six coin card links with one other card. End of card linking for yellow. So I think that's yeah. also interesting compared to some of the other cards because if you get 
those other purchases you're making in round one. It looks like only the blue cards will link round one to round two to round three, H1, H2, H3. Yep. Um, everything else will have a link from H1 to H2 or H2 to H3. With a military exception, there's one that goes from H1 to H3. Mm-hmm. So there's for there to be so few yellow cards linking, I think that kind of balances out the fact that they can get you a lot of income. So you kind of have to think, am I going to have the right resources to get them or pay into them in a way that it's going to be beneficial? In the first round, for those that give you the discounts and the flexibility on essentially the brown resources, I agree that is hard. That's It's just going to keep serving you so much throughout the whole game that it seems, it seems like a, a guaranteed safe bet. Whereas some of the other things in that first age, you have a pretty good shot at it, or you have a decent shot at still picking something up in the next age. Like when you get to age two for the brown resources, there's a sawmill, a brickyard, a shelf quarry, and they give you two resources on one card and you pay two gold for them. How much do you see from H1 to H2, if you know off the top of your head, how much are you building wonders and when? Like, do you, I feel like I very often end up hitting the uh, take another card thing in age two. Like I have the ability to do it in age two. And then I'm kind of deciding do I want to wait until age three when maybe things are a little higher value or do I just want to get on my way in age two? So age one, I want to push to build either the one that gives you the resource or the one that gives me the potion paper option. Because as soon as you, if you have those, build them as fast as you can because every time you're using them in the future, like you're getting dividends on that return by doing that. So those I will push hard uh, occasionally I'll use, if I have the military ones that destroy a card, which also I think is important when we talk about comparing yellow cards that cannot be destroyed. Oh, right. To a brown or a silver card, which can be destroyed by military cards. Okay. I yeah. then, that shifts the value of those. Yeah. So a military card, a, a science card, and a yellow card cannot be destroyed in any way that I've seen. That's a good point. So, so yeah, so you may buy that thing, or hey, I'll wait to the next round and buy a sawmill, and then they destroy that, and now... <laughs> You're back to no wood, and you're going to have a rough game probably at that point. So I know in general what may happen in the game, but Mm. you never know necessarily what is going to happen because there are hidden cards. You don't know what's in the next age. There's cards that are not being played on that. So I think it lends itself to more playing in the moment on that with a very few outlier. Like, again, seeing what kind of wonders your opponent may have, whether they can destroy your you know, um, whether they can destroy your resources or not. Like that does, you have to look for those things. Right. My advice for that, and that's my advice for every game always though, is still buy the resource, make them use it. If you don't buy the resource because they have it, they'll still have it the next time you want to buy that resource. That's true of everything. Right. You know, make them use the thing they have that's threatening you. That threat never goes away in a game. So um, that's a good point. And I think that comes from 100 games of experience. That's a good thing to look out for. That's what can be hard for me is predicting what the other person is about to do and looking at the resources they have and trying to uh, forecast how they are going to connect those together and Mm -hmm. what the effect might be for me. Because, you know, if I'm just playing my own game there, I'm not necessarily going to put it together like, oh, I'm spending a bunch of money 
on this thing that they it's clearly valuable in the way they can revoke it. But I like where you say, make them use it. Make like, don't just, that's fine. Make them commit their resources to that thing. And I think I'm more often, if I do notice it, I'm more often scared off by it. And then really they've gotten me twice. They've kept me from doing something. And then they still have the, they still have that thing. I think maybe the next level is picking something up that they think you that is super valuable to you in a way that maybe they don't realize you had more than one option. So if you can, I guess, get them to destroy, get them to use some of these attacks and things on you in a way that looks like it's going to hurt you more than it does. Um, I could see that being a very meta level of what's of what's going on here. Yeah. And I think you can definitely still position yourself better. So if there's something that costs you five gold versus one gold and it's a brown resource that they can destroy brown resource maybe you buy the one for one gold even if it's not the resource you want Mm -hmm. to hedge a little so you're at least not losing as many resources like consider that in there but yeah i definitely am never deterred by that like Mm -hmm. that's going to be you know at the very beginning the wonders they have yeah that's going to be the case that's just that's war right i think i was just about to say i think that's the planning for destruction part of this and uh, I, uh, it is not, it is not my strong suit. I think, honestly, if there were, you can kind of get into a pattern with this. The way that it's very much like a volley back and forth. Aside from those, um, taking other turns, you just, you know, you're hitting the ball to one side, they're hitting it back. You're hitting it there, you're hitting it back. So you can kind of understand that rhythm and see the way that the cards are laid. Like, okay, well, I'm going to take this, he'll take that. Then I take this, he'll take that. There was one time when Aaron and I played this game in age three that I needed to keep, I think I was trying to keep military away from him because I couldn't, I was definitely not going to pull it far back in any kind of significant way, but I just needed to keep him from getting the military victory. The entire age, I didn't care. There was nothing else that I needed to do. Like, it didn't matter how good this might have been. It didn't matter if I could have gotten some other bonus symbol, like... The uh, paramount thing was just make sure he doesn't get it. So I spent the whole age, all of those cards, all I did was make sure he didn't get a military symbol, which, which did work. Like that was effective. Um, And we ended up going to points. I hope that I won, but I don't remember. Uh, But I think that's interesting from age one to age three. In age one, you're not doing that. That's not how you're focused. So I think that's if you're thinking of building up a civilization, building up a society, if you're getting into the theme and kind of uh, experience of this game in that way, in age one, you're trying to kind of lay the foundations of what you're doing. And there's not that much, there's a very little amount of true attacking that you're doing. I think the biggest one is what we were talking about with the resources. If you're kind of trying to stifle them of resources in a way that they just have to pay more for it. Age two Things are kind of settling out. We're kind of saying that's maybe when these wonders are beginning to get built and people are flexing their kind of individual, because they end up being individual player powers. They're flexing their individual player powers. And then I think in age three, you're barreling towards whatever it is that's going to happen. I know we played a game not that long ago and I told you it was like through age one and age two, I was like, I am barely hanging on. 
And I yeah. just, I had just enough of a footing because you were going for, I think you were going for one of the immediate win conditions. Sure. And I had just enough footing to get through that age because at the beginning, I was, I had no money and I was very concerned about that. You did in fact take the 12 um, wonder, 12 coin wonder and built it. So you had like 20 coins at, at one point and I'm like, have two and trying to, you see the values of like all the things you can't build. So sometime in age two, I had lots of redo, uh, take another turn. I was like, well, let me just try to get everything built. So we'll have one less of these wonders. Right. And if I can just keep that science and military, because I think that you were decent on both. If I can keep it just under the line, it'll be fine. But that relies, I feel like there's a lot of drama and tension then in this game because you do those flips, you take that card and it's still dramatic in BGA. It's certainly dramatic in person as you've, you know, you've pulled the trigger on, I'm going to take this card versus that card. And you know, that's going to make the difference because you don't know what's underneath them. And that changes the whole order of what everyone's going to be able to claim for the whole rest of that age. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And you know, now that you've said that too, I feel like more than other games, on BGA, I, you know, uh, at the end of the game, typically you say good game mm -hmm. to the opponent. A lot of times it's just GG. Mm -hmm. I feel like in with seven wonder, because there's a lot of very close by one or like, you know, I, my science flipped and they were going all military. I think I sent right. you a screenshot where, oh, yeah, you know, they were at, they were at like the one away from winning on the military. I was one away in the science and those were cards waiting to flip you know right. where they'll but they'll they'll still respond or i'll respond and be like hey that was super close i got super lucky at the end but like that was a crazy game or something like that there's more commentary on that tension mm -hmm. and that feeling than other games and especially other games where you're not interacting with the person directly there's no actual yeah human components all on the computer but you can feel it more and i think maybe that's also i really like the game and maybe that's why yeah. is you get that more than you get it in other games and i think it being isolated to a two-player game is part of that too if you play with four people on some other game on bga even if it maybe has some tension to it it's not the same as having been locked in this head-to-head -head battle with this other opponent, which, you know, there's not like hidden information in this game that's not hidden from both of you. Everything's, right. the cards are, you know, as they say, the cards are out on the table. So right. I think there's something about that too. And I know that's a very classic part of other strategic, um, perfect information games like chess and other modern mm -hmm. board games as well. So yeah, I think maybe that you're with one other person, all the information is out there and there's all this tension. It makes it a bit more, it makes it a bit more engaging of an experience versus just like a few dice rolls, a few, you know, card shuffles. Yeah, I, I think so for sure. Yeah. I really do. And, and I have a, uh, so I, and I have a very specific age one, like scenario that I want to hit every single time. Now I don't hit it okay. a lot. But I will say, like, every time I play this game, I want age one to end with me having three science tokens, if I can. Oh. And movement once, twice preferably on their military. If I can do that, I feel like I am in a good position. So there's, I think I'm looking at the list of cards. We're, we've been referencing the rule book throughout the, as we've recorded, to kind of get the names right and things like that. If I'm... 
looking at this correctly, there's only four science cards in the first age. Yeah, it sounds right. Yeah, yeah. So, but if I can, and again, yeah, every, yeah. everything from that is deviating, but I feel like if I can do that, I feel like I'm positioned to right. put a, a tremendous amount of pressure on them because I like being two away because then you're, they, they lose coins as well. I don't know if we mentioned that as far as on the military track, oh, they'll yeah. lose two coins when you hit like the second tier and then mm-hmm. five coins when they hit the three tiers. So I like starting age two with them going, gosh, if he plays that military card where you get two movements in the second age, mm-hmm. then I'm going to lose coins. Mm-hmm. And then I would be two away from the next one as well. Yeah. So I can back to back, make them lose coins if they are not hedging against military. And then if I'm getting four to five science, you know, tokens, Mm-hmm. Total in the second age, that, that puts me really, really well positioned for the last age on that. So right. um, if I can do that, I feel like that that's always what I'm working towards. And then whatever else out there is happening, I'm, I'm discarding blue cards. I'm not taking those. Um, I'm, I, you know, I'm not at all. Like, I'm yeah. getting, I lose a lot. So let's just, I'm not, this isn't like a... <laughs> professional here but that that's normally what i'm doing blue cards are just there well, to get me to other cards that that makes sense that if you're gearing for a science or military victory if that's just your preferred method of strategy then the blue cards in fact have zero value to you so that makes that makes total sense it looks like in the first age we have now i don't know what these scientific symbols are so i'm going to use just a made up shorthand the letter a we have a wheel, we have a yep. quill, and a yep. mortar and pestle. That yep. is the same symbols that are also in age two. And the only link between age one to age two, which is the uh, the quill and the mortar, those get you those can get you another age two card from age one to age two. They can get you another card for free of the exact same type. So that's like how you could get one. Shows up in H two, and then you have two of the same symbol, and you can get a progress token without having to having to sort of pay for it. That's not true of the letter A. Again, there's no way that's what it actually is, or the wheel. Either way, that still gives you four different ones in the first two ages. So you wouldn't be able to complete that until age three, where I think you could get the military victory in age two. Maybe I did today. Yeah. Oh well, definitely. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can't. You can. And it, it takes. Honestly, I think it, the opponent may not have known that you could win that way. Like it, it felt like there was just yeah. no no and, resistance. And be, you didn't feel. I, I don't mean to, to speak poorly no, about yeah. the opponent because maybe they did, but like it was there was no sense of blocking it. Yeah. In any way that was suspicious, you know. So right, right. Um, yeah, I just. Kept going. Like, I think I had the two movement wonder and maybe another one movement wonder. Right. And then just because that would be the military all the way up. If they don't counteract you, there is two in that first section and then three and then three and a final one. So you have to move a total of nine to get that uh, military victory. And if you, I mean, there's four of them in the first, there's four shields in the first age. There's, this looks like six, eight. In the second age, so if you also have three that's on your I wonder, have three symbols, yeah, you can do the, you can do it. Yeah, if that's all that's you're doing. So may not even be that difficult, which I think says a lot about 
you know, we're talking about pressure and how to make your strategy. I am more often always thinking from a defensive than offensive standpoint. I'm usually just trying to hold the center line. Like I said, for the game against you, just keep it just low enough that we can get to the end here because I don't think I play as well if I really show my hand of going strong towards something. I don't think I'm ever strategically good enough to, I don't have the kind of thing where I can foresee what the other person's going to do in a way that I can predict. So it's better for me to just like really hold down the, the middle road there. But looking at the card breakdown, it feels very important to take a couple of those, especially if you're not doing a military strategy because that's the that gives you the time to to it, it forces them to not be able to do it quite that quickly gives you the time for something else to happen like I think that's important and I think it's more important than getting the early symbols for science because the exact same symbols for science are going to show up in the second round it's not going to be something new until the third round which is before looking at the sheet Correct. nothing I'd ever thought of Nothing I'd ever thought of. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I like about getting the symbol in the first round is that you've got it. It's it's cheaper and easier to get in the first round because it's just two coins. You start with seven yeah. coins. Oh, it's definitely cheaper. Yeah. And it's definitely more resource intensive in the next rounds. And you can be then out of a resource as well in the second round. Like mm-hmm. if you don't get a quill, mm-hmm. there is that chance where either by luck or by them taking it, then. Yeah. And- so that that's a tough balance of when to when to do that and the unknowns of the future. Well, for the scriptorium and the pharmacist specifically, now you don't always know what cards are going to be in HU. Like we said, there's a few that just don't show up in each one. But for those two specifically, it's maybe those are the best buys if you're not really interested in science because they will give you the free one because they link to the other one the next round. And then not only would you keep that person from getting that symbol, because now you have both of that symbol, you'd also get one of the progress tokens. So maybe the scriptorium and the pharmacist are like big, take those science early because they are a really easy path to hold someone else back in science and get a progress token. And depending on what you're doing, that might be your platform to win on science. Maybe you're going to take the one that gives you either the extra victory points, which not winning on science, but getting your extra points, or that gives you your own symbol so that you kind of make it back for this linkage. Yeah. And one, one kind of move that I think is important and it comes up more than you would think is if you have the option, like let's say you're defending against someone going science mm-hmm. instead of discarding the science. Cause that's one reason I like trying to get as much science in the first round too, is because you put a lot of pressure on the player. They now know they're either giving me a progress token or they have to take it, even if it's not yeah. super good for them. Mm-hmm. Them taking it, if they have, if I have three and they have one, is not real good. And then I can make a better move while they're wasting their time mm-hmm. not dying to science on that is the idea of it. But tucking under a wonder science, I think, is a really oh, good move. Because also discarded. across the games, they can also never get it back uh-huh. from the discard pile, uh-huh. which is a way that science will win. Mm. you know on that that's so a good if you just point. in your kind of if your brain you just kind of think tuck science when you can so it doesn't come back or three like especially those three level military ones yeah if you get to around like age three tuck those under the wonder because then they're not available in the discard right which of course if they don't if you have the discard card or if they don't if it just wasn't one of the wonders then not a thing to think about but kind of a decent practice to do anyway. Like if it doesn't matter, like, you know, 
you tug whatever feels right at the time if it doesn't really matter. But in kind of gearing your brain, gearing your strategy to be making the best choices so you're not having to do more thought work in other games, if right. it's just by default, you're like, well, if I'm going to tuck something and there's an option, it's going to be it's going to be science, it's going to be military. So it's not in the discard. I think more often than not, I think I do spend a lot of time thinking about what's going to be available for them next. And because of the clean kind of way this game lays out, next and next and next is sort of a is sort of a thing. So right. it's also very possible that you're like, listen, they can grab this out of the discard whenever they want in the future, because if they take it now, uh, there won't be a future for me to be worried about. And there won't be a discard pile because they, they will have already, they will have already won. But I think that's still really good. Still a really good point about those are not discarded cards. You don't spend it to make your wonder. Yeah. It stays under your wonder. Yeah, yeah, and I've I've lost to that, right? Where you just see mm. your dreams of a science victory <laughs> go away as yeah. they have the quill and then tuck a quill and right. there there you go. So Right. Time to take another look at those blue cards. Right. Now yeah, the that temple looks a lot better now. What right. is a what is a rostrum? What is a rostrum? <laughs> Actually that's a good question. Um but yeah, so, and then in age two, I'm pretty much whatever path I end up better on. Because normally by the end of age one, I've either moved farther on the military or farther on science. And then I'm just doing everything I can to shove myself in that direction. Um, there are a couple moves in age two that I like. So if I'm resource low, which I'm likely to be, right? Because mm. I'm focusing on science and military cards. Your best friend is going to be, if that progress token is out, that lets your wonders be two symbols cheaper. Two symbols cheaper is so much cheaper <laughs> yeah. on that. Yeah. Because there's only, I think, four symbols on each of them. So it's half the cost of your wonders that you that might be slowly getting out of reach mm-hmm. as your opponent gets more mm-hmm, resources. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a great progress token pickup on that. I yeah. think it's even worth that instead of like the law or the military one. So you don't end up stuck yeah. to let you just get back into it on that. So I yeah. would recommend that. And that's kind of a comeback from behind move, not necessarily behind, but uh-huh. that part of the game being behind. Cause I'm regularly very resource poor and very, you know, just science and military rich on that. Right. For sure. Um, again, I'll, that six coin, I'll grab it ahead of just about anything. Like I, unless it's really, I'm winning, with hmm. science or military, I- I'm never taking anything other than that. I think that's such a big age two card. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say it. I think age two is the most boring age. Yeah, I think so. But I think it's also, I think it's one where the game is, I think the game can be decided though in some ways. Like you, I, I've gotten too far out of reach where I go into age three, oh. not being able to buy any wonders or anything that's out there. Yeah. And I have no money. Yeah. So... I think the cards are inherently less exciting, but depending on how you play the game. So maybe the tension, the cards, not exciting. There's more kind of, I mean, we already talked about all the science duplicates, the blue cards. They're mostly just one more point than they were before. You don't have any of those three shield military cards. It's not, it's not a huge advancement. There's not like that much happening, but I think maybe it is setting the tone and setting the tension for the rest of the game. So maybe there's a just a different thing happening in H2. That's why I call it boring because of my own personal perspective on that. 
Well, and so the way the shape of these cards are too um, is so age one is a pyramid with like, you know, two cards at the top, the most cards at the bottom. So you increasingly get less options as you play the age. Age two, you increasingly get more options. It's a reverse pyramid on that as well. So it's boring, but the play out is more uh, fruitful. What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, I see what you're saying. It feels like it builds upon itself differently. And then age three is lateral. Like it's kind of like just a, Mm -hmm. a straight up cylinder you know but like it's just the same amount heavy end correct so i think h2 doesn't it feels exciting sometimes because you're you're more likely to get two cards revealed to you to to pick your path on that because you're expanding outward on that so i think the layout is exciting even if the cards themselves aren't this is like mind blown moment because of course that's true i've played the game i've seen exactly what these shapes look like but I didn't think about it in terms of decreasing options in age one and increasing options in age two. So maybe that makes a little more sense that the cards are not crazy, not necessarily crazy exciting. It's not like it's building in this huge way from age one to age two to age three. But I think there is some, I agree, there is something different about your starting with just two options. So can you, I know that there's a way that it determines who starts the next age. What is that? I've played a hundred games and I have no idea. I'll be completely oh. honest. I was like, <laughs> like, I know I can look it up. I I have no, I'm surprised every time I'm like, oh, I get to pick. Right. I don't know. And that's probably like, I'm sure it'd okay. be embarrassing if I cared more, but like, it's fine. It's just right. a fun little and random when, thing for me. When you're playing on a BGA versus in person, I think, I don't, I think that's nice. I, I don't mind that. Um, to be like, I don't know, the game always does it, and I'm pretty sure it's right. So <laughs> yeah. the the age ends when you've taken all the cards. There's never, like, cards left over. You have to take all of them. You make the next age structure. The rule book says the player with the weakest military chooses which player begins the next age. So that's the other thing. It's not just that one person does it. You get to choose. So I think that's also interesting about going from age one to age two. Military-wise, like, it's possible that not a lot has happened and it's maybe somewhat easy if you're determined to be the person that gets to pick who starts in age two and you get to see that there's just two cards there from the pick from and i think in age three again whoever has the weakest military is going to get to choose and there are only two cards to pick from to start that as well that does make sense. I don't get to pick a lot, and I usually am trying for the military. So you know what? Right. That's why it's a surprise when I do. So that makes sense. You know, that's pretty helpful. Yeah. So. And if it's in the middle, then it's the player who the player who begins the next age is the last active player. So whoever played the last card the previous age. So I guess it goes back to like a serpentining thing. Oh, that's interesting that it wouldn't be the other player. Like you get like a double turn then. Right. But and that mirrors mm. your selection of wonders. I, you know, I imagine. Right. For this very popular and well-ranked game, that there is an intentional balancing in that. Yeah. But it's a very unique, you know, first player turn over turn. It's not just it's not simply alternating. I think it is better in a two-player game that it takes in the game condition. And really, I think for two-player variants of other games, maybe that would be a huge deal if they more often took in like without making any other changes, if they just took into consideration what the condition of the game is because there are, I think part of what makes this game so popular and so well-loved is there are a lot of two-player games. Maybe it's the variant or the mode of a bigger game that has four people and it can feel uneven in a variety of ways. And sometimes that's because there's not really the right kind of rubber banding to keep 
tension in the game. I think one right. of the things this does well with those immediate victories is you can keep a lot of tension in the game where otherwise you're just waiting till age three to score points. And you know there's going to be right. more points available in age three. So it's sort of like, you know, that can really pull things back from age one and age two. But when someone could be building for this immediate victory that can happen anytime, you can watch them build towards it. I think that having this kind of interrupt wins and then that just keeps a little more tension in it, in the whole game, in a two-player experience. Agreed. Yeah, it is a rubber banding form. I mean, you still have to have resources and money to do things, so mm -hmm. you can let your game get away, yeah. but that's largely your choice. I feel like even those games where I've done that is because... Well, I was being silly or tried something real, whatever on yeah. it. And, you know, just let those resources sail down the river and then I don't have anything. And it's not very long either. I think in a, I'm never a fan of a game in which you feel basically trapped. Like, you know, you've lost and then yeah. you're just kind of trapped there. I think one, this isn't very long. And two, with those other kind of wind conditions, other things happening, even if you find yourself like, oh, I have no coins. I don't have any resources. Like, I'm just completely sideways here you can discard a few cards in a row you can get up coins again and you might it's more likely i think here that you can bounce back to at least something with some tension than just nothing at all than just kind of waiting out for to, you know to be defeated for sure for sure and i think uh so that kind of brings us to like that age three right yeah. so so you know in age three we now have guilds and i think this is where it becomes yeah. super relevant and so guilds um Compare like because in the original Seven Wonders you only have one guild. Yeah, is that right? I think so. Have all the guilds you want in duel. You Take sure them all. Can. Yep, and you should. So now, what you they don't do is put. I think there's only isn't there a set number of them that are included in the setup for H three. I don't think that, um, which might be true. I think that's true in the other Seven Wonders. So it looks like you pick three guilds when you're doing the setup. So you still take out three age three cards like you do in the other ages but you would put in three guilds anywhere in the mix so they could you might see them face up might see them face down and there's let's see seven guilds overall so you're not even seeing half of the guilds in any game but yeah you can't have more than one and all the guilds have a similar function where what it does is it um when you play them it analyzes who for both people, yeah, who has the most of a specific thing. So whether that's either going to be a yellow card, uh, a combination of uh, brown and silver cards, pyramid building, blue cards, green cards, money, or military. Now, some of them give you immediately coins based mm -hmm. on those numbers and victory points. Some are only victory points on that. But this is also, to some degree, a rubber banding effect because it, let's yeah. say... My opponent has a tremendous amount of money, and I get that guild where I yeah. get a victory point for all three of their coins. Well, that's that's huge. That could be a lot. I yeah. mean, I've, I ended the game, I think, earlier today with 50 coins or something yeah. like that. So, I, I mean, that's a lot of coins. I think when I played against you, you still ended with a lot because you were yeah. going for a thing. We did come down to points. I might have had the Money Lenders Guild, which yeah. I think you maybe had. I maybe got me eight points. I think maybe you had something right. in the... 20s perhaps yeah so so that's a lot and so i think i mean unless you're winning pretty directly with one of the other cards out there mm -hmm. you should take those guilds you know like it's they're typically going to be worth it um, now, a little resource intense but and it could be the situation you know we said they have a guild for each of the colored cards the 
ship owners, Brown and Gray, are shared on one card. Um, right. It's pretty. It's a pretty good bet that people have built uh, all of their wonders. I think that's happening more often than not. People having money right. at the end, not a super guarantee. And based on just the mix of these cards that you get into your specific game for that for that age, they might be kind of worthless. Which is true of the other game, true of regular Seven Wonders. But it's possible yeah. that like the Traders Guild, it's possible that and I know it's still going to account for who has the most of those. Like there's a lot of these that you can kind of just split, and they're going to be pretty anticlimactic at the time it's constructed if it's giving you a bonus maybe you just need those three coins two coins three coins maybe real bad or if it's you know the science guilds in the final row and yeah you get this when it's constructed but like we didn't even we discarded science we didn't even have that much science like they're not all crazy good so that's fair and i that is not my experience with them Okay. But I think But you're also and, someone going towards extremes correct. in your games. You're leaning into the extremes. Correct. Which right. then also to some degree forces my opponents to go yes. to extremes. Because now there's uh, the heavy things that are left out there are gonna be things I'm not taking. Yes. So they typically have a lot of resources compared to what I have on that. Right. Which makes these all more valuable in the end. Very good. It point. also makes it a little more luck heavy though, because yeah. I can't guarantee I'm getting them. Yeah, so like yeah. I may be handing my opponent a whole bunch of points. And if they come out, and I mean, there's always those take another turn wonders. I think a lot of times it's more advantageous. It's hard to save them this long. I would say it's great to have them in H three. I don't often, I'm not often saving them that long. So depending on how the cards come out, it just might be like, if they're in the same row reveal the same time, like what if those are the first two at the bottom, you're just not getting the luck part. The one that is good is also maybe harder to get because there are so few of them. For sure. And yeah, if you're correct. If you're saving your wonder to take another turn to the third round, you're committing to only playing three of your wonders. I right. would say at that point. So you, right. you're you're giving up a wonder. You're never... Right. And that's a good point to everybody. Don't save your fourth wonder because as soon as they play their fourth wonder, yeah. you've lost that. So... So would you say that there's just maybe one of your wonders don't get overcommitted to it? Like, do you kind of, do you ever think that yeah. way? Just like, these are Absolutely. my core three, here's also a wonder. Yes, because I, the path I pick, I typically want that like discard pile one going into the third mm. round. So I'm going to, I have to save that one in the third round. Like that oh, one's super right. not good the other rounds. Right. So then I'm just giving up one of my other wonders yeah. for that to try to win immediately via that, for sure. Right. So but you have to do the planning on that. And you know, you're just losing to victory points every time if it goes to that. Because you've just handed over a lot of not doing something then. Right. So is there any, when you see that, let's let's imagine that you've drafted that uh, discard wonder at the beginning of the game. And you've drafted it early. Maybe you got to pick first or whatever. Yeah. Are there things you're drafting away from the other person? Because you know that, like, you're not necessarily even trying to do all these wonders. Like, you're almost certainly going to do three of them. You know you're going to throw away one of them. Depending on how things shake out, I could see you maybe throwing away two of them. Seems unlikely, but maybe. Yeah, at that point, if I, and again, I'm never taking it first. But again, I'm also mm. hedging that most people don't play the way I play. Yeah. Um, and they and they win a lot. So let's yeah. just be always clear right. about yeah, that. Yeah. But, so I end up with it. I don't think I ever take it. I end up with it for oh, okay. much more than I ever take it first. Okay. So I still, I feel like that's how, that's my advantage at that point. I still Got get the it. pick I want. 
or I'm getting I'm getting a leftover on that, or I'll take it in the middle two. If I'm the middle two person, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll take a resource one in that. But yeah, if I'm going that route, if if my I will say this: if my first two wonders don't have a take another turn, I am much more likely to make sure my second two wonders don't have a take another turn, so I can get that progress token that will give all of them that, and then I'm not losing the advantage. Oh, of right, 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 right. Yeah, I'll still take the twelve. I'll take another turn because it's too good always, and I'm yeah. certainly not going to give it to them. You know, that's 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 not a factor. But I'm more likely to maybe take less ideal ones where I can add that value on later if it's out there for sure. Mm -hmm. Kind of circling back to that now that we've hit the end of the game, circling back to like yeah, yeah, those same first decisions. I think that's also what kind of sparks when you play this game and you get to the end. I think that's what. There's a lot of replayability because you know it, you know it won't be the same, but you also feel like, oh, I, I think I understand this a little more. You see someone do a combination of things you didn't exactly think of before or, you know, wasn't even just available, wasn't accessible. So you kind of want to see, is that going to show up in the next game? I think there is something about how the end does tie back to the beginning here that makes it really good for replay. Oh, for sure. And there's some just crazy stuff that happens where you see, like, none of the coin take another turn ones show up. And you're kind of oh. like, how are we going to play this game? Right. Like, you know, or things <laughs> like that where none of the military ones show up. And you're just like, well, I, I'm not. No one's going military. Because if you don't have those right. wonders to kind of help push on that, it's really tough. You're spending a lot to get that done. Yeah. yeah. For sure. So, yeah, it, it is. They become very different games. It's all the same concepts, but it feels very different. And you kind of know at the beginning that it's going to be different. I think that's what's exciting is that you know what wonders your opponent has. You know what wonders you have. So you can very quickly kind of get a read on some stuff. And I think it also makes it more exciting, more tension, more fun. Thank you so much for listening to episode 38. Be sure to subscribe to know when new episodes drop. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Variant Hex. We have a website and a blog at VariantHex.com, and you can email us at podcast at VariantHex.com. Did you know you can watch other people play games on BGA? If you click into a game, you can either watch a live game as a spectator or replay a game from strangers or friends. If you've enjoyed this episode, you'll probably enjoy watching a few games to see how different strategies play out. The next episode is about the board game mechanism of deck, bag, and pool building. We previously stated that it would be the mechanism of income, but we'll explain the change at the start of the episode. If you're listening to these in reverse, you've got 37 more episodes coming your way, the next one being me and Aaron talking about Mystic Market and Happy City. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. 